Welcome back to Creative Pursuits. My name is Alex Crow. Thank you for tuning in. We have a very, uh, very exciting show today. Last week, we had a great episode. We talked to Daniel Hendler, who, of course, was a writer and story editor on Netflix's Unorthodox. Today, we're talking to another Netflix star, actually. We, well, the original plan was we were going to have Zendaya on from the Netflix original film and uh, Malcolm and Marie and also the Marvel Extended Universe. But the opportunity to have Carol Baskin presented itself. And what can I say? I pounced. Sorry. So don't forget to go ahead and rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, you can leave us a review as well. And this podcast is sponsored by Team People. So Team People, you've heard me talk about Team People many times. Team People builds dynamic media teams. How do they do it? Well, first, you need clients, and Team People has them. Networks, production companies, corporations, government agencies, and nonprofits, all of them Team People has as clients. Next, you need the jobs. If you don't, if you, if you do it, they probably have it. Producers, editors, writers, copywriters, designers, camera, audio, and newer stuff like UI, UX, MAMs, DAMs, social media. The list goes on and on. If you're looking for your next thing, full-time or gig work, you really need to check out their job board at teampeople.tv. Then get signed up with them by answering just a few questions and uploading a CV. They see a job that matches your profile, and this may be the best part. You'll get contacted by one of Team People's superstar recruiters. These are media people, hiring media people. They speak your language. Look, if you're too busy to keep checking a job board, great, but don't miss this opportunity. Give Team People a follow at Team People TV. Check them out. Get on the road to your next big thing. Get connected with teampeople.tv today. And without any further ado, let's go ahead and talk to Carol. Well, I should provide a little more context. So someone had mentioned that I should consider having Carol Baskin on, on the podcast. And I was uh, a little skeptical to say the least. I didn't necessarily think that this podcast, we talk about art communications and technology, but I decided to do a little due diligence and I found out that Carol actually is working in many cutting edge technological fields and so we talk about all that today and we do talk a little bit about the documentary Tiger King I don't actually think the words I don't think I mentioned I don't think I said Joe Exotic during the course of our conversation which is a missed opportunity because if nothing else it's a great name uh, without any further ado, let's get to my conversation with Carol Baskin. Hi. Hey, everyone. It's Carol Baskin. I'm the founder and CEO of Big Cat Rescue. You may know me from Tiger King, but if that's the only way you know me, you don't know me at all. Right on. So Tiger King was a pretty sensational documentary. I understand the producers pitched it to you as essentially Blackfish for big cats. Uh, Blackfish obviously was 2013 documentary. I mean, this was a widely distributed documentary. Um, and it looked at, it looked at orcas, killer whales that were in captivity. 
but what we saw on Tiger King was it was a little bit more. It seemed a little more TMZ than TLC, the Learning Channel. What what was your what was your indication going into it, and then what was your reaction after having seen the documentary? Yes, we were working on several different documentaries over the last five years before Tiger King came out. One of them was called Hidden Tiger, which is an excellent documentary on the fact that we are losing the tiger in the wild. Another one was called The Conservation Game, with the emphasis being on con. And that one just won the Social Justice Award by a jury at the Santa Barbara Film Festival this year, just a couple of weeks ago. That's amazing. And, yeah. And um, I mean, you think about all the social justice stuff that has happened in the last 24 months. And for a picture about how big cats are abused to win that social justice award really said a lot about it. And then Tiger King told us they were working on the blackfish equivalent for big cats. And we were all about being involved in that because it would show the abuse that these animals suffer from the very moment they're born. They're ripped from their moms. They're exploited and pay to play for people to take pictures and do selfies with these tiger cubs. And then they end up, if they survive the handling at all, which a lot of them don't, then they end up in backyards and basements and sometimes even in canned hunts or being killed for their parts. Yeah. And so we were more than happy to work with them over that five-year period. We introduced them to all of the experts in the field. We um, were told that they were getting all of this great footage from all of these people that were exploiting animals that would show people how horrible these places were. And so when Tiger King started teasing something, or sorry, when Netflix started teasing something they were calling Tiger King, we contacted the producers because they said, you know, Joe Schreibogel would be just a small part of this overall huge big picture of all of these people that we think are abusing animals. Right. And they didn't want to talk to us. So my husband and I sat on the couch and we binge watched it just like everybody else did. Right. And... <laughs> we kept waiting for them to get to the truth and yeah. they just, they never got there. And there had been a podcast that had been done a year before where they had taken the viewer down the same or the listener down the same lane where he believed the things he was being told by all of these people that were exploiting animals. And then he found out that they were lying, that it didn't serve any conservation value and that they were just lining their pockets. And at the end, he said all that. Right. Tiger King never did that. Instead, Tiger King tried to paint me as the villain and to say that zoos and sanctuaries weren't any different from each other, which is, I mean, they're exact polar opposites of each other. And it left this just gross misportrayal of who I am and who the sanctuary industry is. And I think the biggest losers in this were the cats because yeah, people yeah. didn't understand that this is such an abusive industry. Instead, they rallied behind a guy who's in jail for shooting five tigers in the head and for plotting my murder for years. So it, it's just, it, I think it was just absolutely shameful what they did. Well, I wanna hit on that really quickly. So what, if Tiger King had cued a little bit closer to what your vision of what, what you were told it would be and what it should be in terms of conservation and, and protecting big cats, you know, these majestic creatures, what, I mean, what information would you have put into into Tiger King. What what do you think needs that this just the lay people, people who aren't so familiar with this issue should know? 
you know, the one silver lining that came out of Tiger King was there was one scene in that whole seven episodes of trailer park trash that people saw. There was one scene where this mother tiger is giving birth in the den box and the people at the GW Zoo who worked for Joe Shrive Vogel had this long pole with a hook on it. And they were hooking that baby and pulling it out of the den box and across that rocky gravel barren cage that she was being kept in. And then they squeezed the poor thing, nearly crushing its skull to get it through the wire. And then they used it for as long as they could as a photo pay to play prop. People saw that and they hated that. And I think that was the best thing that came out of Tiger King was for people to understand that it's never okay to pay to touch a cub. It's never a good thing when people are sharing those images on social websites because they all start out the same way and they all end the same way, which is an absolute misery. And so I thought the entire program was just going to be showing case after case after case of that happening. Mm -hmm. Of course, nobody would want to watch that, but <laughs> that's what I thought this show would be about. And instead, it was just this made up feud. I've never even spoken to Joe. And so for them to make this a huge feud between the two of us was just utterly ridiculous. So if I were doing Tiger King, it would have looked much more like Hidden Tiger or the Conservation Game, something that actually told the truth about the industry. Well, you pride yourself and have made it your life's work to be an advocate for these animals. And as a result of this documentary, you truly have become uh, one, of, one of the polar, kind of polarizing figures of our time, certainly of 2020. Right. Uh, you know, I talked to a few friends. I mentioned that I was going to be talking with you. And there were some people who told me that they didn't think I should do it based off of the, the heinous acts and the accusations and the recriminations that were broadcast on the dock. Another person said that, another friend of mine said that um, all of her friends were Team Carol and they backed you 100%. And then another of my friends, when I when I mentioned I was doing this, and I I was curious, you know, what are your thoughts based on the doc? They just said she's complex. How do you? I'm not so complex. No? I'm like one trick pony, actually. I okay. got one mission: it's to save the tiger in the wild. That's yes. It. Okay. So I'm I'm kind of I was curious what like what's your intrinsic motivating like how do you now go about doing that work? Now that everyone has seemingly such a strong opinion about who you are. You know, what people think about me, what they think they know about me really doesn't define me and it doesn't affect me in any way. I think it has been more difficult in some cases where like in the past, what I would do is I would be going into members of Congress's office and talking to them about the bill I'd be working with all of our partners who have been trying to get our federal bill passed since the 90s. We've been working on this together. And, you know, we would go in and have like a, um, I forget what they call it, but it's where you invite everybody, all of the senators aides to a room and you come in there and you do a presentation where you talk about the issues and you bring in people from law enforcement that have had to, you know, fight fires with tigers running out of buildings and stuff like that to <laughs> explain why it is we need a federal ban on cub handling and why we need to phase out private possession. And so I've always been a part of that. And this year, 
it was so, as you said, polarizing. People had already made up their minds from watching a TV show, whether they were approving of me or non-approving of me. And so I was kind of like sucking the air out of the room every time I would try to go into any of these types of situations. And it was better for us as a group for me to take a back seat which I'm fine with doing, they're, they're all great at doing that, but it just felt like, you know, here we've been leading this cause since like 97 or 98, and now to be in a position because of a television show, making people think that I'm some kind of gold digging, home wrecking murderer, that that makes it uncomfortable for somebody in an official office to have me in their office as somebody that they would listen to. So that's been hard. But the good part is that people now at least know that this is an issue because before Tiger King, that was my biggest problem. People didn't think this really happened. <laughs> they didn't think people really had tigers in their backyard. And right. it was very hard to convince Congress that this was a, an important issue that needed to rise to the top above all of the other important things that they need to deal with. But I think this year it will actually be uh, passed. It passed the House last year with a two-thirds majority vote. It's a bipartisan uh, bill, and we just introduced it in the Senate with bipartisan support for the first time ever. So I'm really excited that it will pass this year. Well, that's a huge benchmark, and you know, it's just kind of a it shows that the work you've been doing for so long is is paying off. But it also shows humility on your part that you recognize in in this fashion that maybe when it comes to the work this documentary has made your presence somewhat of a distraction, but you're able to kind of put the work, put the work first. Do you see, how, how do you see, obviously the passing of this bill is huge, but what do you see as, as the work that needs to be done in the future? Well, I'm glad you said that because you're now getting into what I love to talk about, which is what I think the future is for big cats. And unfortunately, if we don't do something right now, we will lose the tiger. And when I say the tiger, I'm talking about most other big cats too, because they're all in peril, but we will lose the tiger in the next five years or so. They just won't be in the wild anymore. And the reason is all of this cat bring on Tiger King for the purpose of people getting to take their picture with a cub, that creates a legal smokescreen for illegal activities like poaching. So like right now, if you get caught wearing a tiger tooth necklace, you could just say that was my pet tiger. You're off the hook. Nobody's going to do anything about it. We passed this bill and it's illegal to have a tiger as a pet and you're caught with a tiger tooth necklace. Now you're going to jail. You're going to have a serious fine on your hands. You're going to have to explain how you got that tiger tooth. And that's why we need this bill to protect these cats being killed in the wild because of all of the captive breeding that's going on here. So the biggest challenge that I have seen in all of the work that we've been doing, you know, we've had huge wins, like the fur industry is now dead. The circus industry is pretty much dead. And all of these abusive things that involve big cats have just gone by the wayside that people are not willing to put up with that anymore now that they know the truth. Right. But the one thing, the one big holdout, there's zoos. And, you know, there's zoos like you saw in Tiger King with these horrible little backyard menageries. And then there's the big accredited zoos, you know, that have much larger enclosures and veterinarians and proper food, but they're cages. And I think that the what I keep hearing from people is we have to have zoos because that's what makes our children care about wild animals so that they'll protect them in the wild. 
well, in the last 200 years of having cats in cages, we've lost 95% of the big cats in the wild. So that didn't work. We need a new path. And I think it sends like the absolute worst message to a child to say, it's okay to take away the heritage of this animal, to take away their home, do whatever we want to with it and keep that animal in a cage so that you can get a good look at it if it amuses you. Yeah. No, that's not okay. It's just not. And I don't know why mothers all around the world haven't figured this out yet, but they're going to figure it out because we're going <laughs> to outlaw it. And what we have to do is give zoos something they can do instead of keeping animals in captivity. And what I've been trying to show them is that it's much cheaper and it's much more earth friendly and it's much kinder to the animals to create location-based experiences where imagine if you go to your local zoo and you pay your $7 and you go into the Himalayas exhibit and you walk into this building and they sit you down and they put this headset on you and they start blasting cold air at you and you are seeing snow leopards in the wild mating, chasing prey, doing the stuff that snow leopards do in real time from these remote controlled 360 cameras that are lattice throughout their entire realm. And if the advertising and the subscription money from those live feeds coming in goes to the local villages with the understanding that the only way you get this money, this money you would never have been able to make selling yak fur, the only way you get this money is by protecting these cats and making sure they have plenty of prey out here and that they are they are free to wander around in front of those cameras for the rest of the world to enjoy in their natural habitat. Now you're bringing all of that benefit to the local communities to save the habitats. And those habitats are what are supplying our fresh water and our fresh air, our very life support system. So I think that zoos can be a huge part of recreating a world where we actually can have all of these wild animals living free and benefit from fresh air and clean water and all of the resources that we need. Absolutely. Another another group that I follow, or a group that I follow, I should say, and I've been following for some time. I think they they do a lot of great work. I follow them on social media. Is uh, in terms of animal rights and conservation, is PETA, and. Yeah. Okay. So I was just curious what your relationship, Carol, is like with PETA. I might be the only person out there who defends PETA. I feel like I am because every time I defend them, oh my gosh, I just get bombarded with people telling me the same kind of lies about PETA that people probably tell others about me. You know, anything they can possibly say to discredit them based on what they read on the internet or heard on the internet from their friend. And they're just wrong. <laughs> I have known the people at PETA. In fact, PETA came to me in the early 90s when we first started the sanctuary. We had no idea what we were doing back then. It was before mm. the internet. And the only people we could get advice from were the breeders and dealers who were saying we should be breeding these animals for future generations, which was just utter utter lies. Um, none of these animals bred in captivity can ever serve any kind of conservation value. And so PETA came out and they were like, you know, coming in to investigate me and to, you know, say how horrible we were. And they came in and they were like, wow, you're really trying to do the right thing here. And I'm like, yeah, we don't know who to ask, but we need guidance on what to do here. And so they have been great friends since the nineties. 
I noticed the only other person in Tiger King that they talked to who wasn't one of these like animal abusers or people from, you know, my husband's family, the only other person in the entire show that had any kind of legitimate thing to say to the public was Brittany Pete from PETA. And they gave her like two sentences, you know, that was it. And she could have talked for hours about why people should not have these cats in backyards and basements. Are you still- I love her. <laughs> yeah. Are you still working? Do you work or talk to the, the folks over at PETA at all? Oh yeah. They're on like speed dial. Right on. Right on. So I guess I'm kind of curious. I mean, now in- now that the documentary has been out for over a year, I mean, I think early on in quarantine, pretty much everyone watched this thing. So you, as a result, you kind of have achieved something, something between fame and, and infamy, really, right? More infamy. <laughs> yeah. Um, how has, has being able to has having this platform benefit? Have you seen a benefit? We've talked a little bit about some of the the negatives of the portrayal of the documentary. Um, has there been any kind of benefit that you've been able to discern that you've seen? I think there has. I don't know whether or not the benefit has offset the damage yeah. that was done, but I think there is benefit. And my husband kind of likens the whole Tiger King thing to a wave. So all of this hate and vitriol and people not you know, people believing what they saw in Tiger King, which if you do any research whatsoever, you'll find out that the vast majority of that was lies. And I actually did a minute by minute kind of thing on bigcatrescue.org slash Netflix. that goes, you know, like when you were seeing this on camera, well, here's the actual evidence that I gave them that they chose right. not to present. <laughs> uh, but my husband said, you know, it came in kind of like a wave, you know, it comes in fast and hard and people are all foamy at the mouth over things. And then the wave recedes more gently. And now we're in that process where the wave is receding and people are finally seeing who I am and who sanctuaries are and how, you know, utterly different they are from zoos. We, the only thing we have in common is that we both have animals in cages, but zoos are in the business of buying, breeding, selling. Some of them allow public contact. There's only five or six that do and taking them like offsite to malls and such. Sanctuaries, on the other hand, cannot buy, sell, breed, allow public contact or take the animal offsite for exhibit. So it's like, we are totally opposite of each other, but that's not what people got from Tiger King. No, and I, I read online recently, I mean, just a, a, a cursory Google search returned that you had seen losses in the seven figures as a result of, is that true, of, of Tiger King? Um, yeah, well, it was a perfect storm, <laughs> like it was for everybody. On March the 15th, we decided it was too dangerous to have tours because of COVID. Oh. And so we closed our gates on March 15th and then of 2020. And then Tiger King came out on March the 20th of 2020. So five days later, that hit. And people were like threatening to storm our gates and burn the place to the ground because they were so angry that they thought all of our cats were living in those little boxes that they showed. Yeah. That's their feeding box. That's where they, you know, we shut them out of that so that we can put food in there and then we let them come in for food. But yeah. their, their homes are like our smallest cat, you know, like a bobcat, a 20-pound cat. Their smallest enclosure for a single bobcat is 1,200 square feet. That's bigger than my house yeah. <laughs> for a 20-pound cat. But you didn't see that in Tiger King. 
Right. So, um, yeah, between not being able to do tours and we were really worried about whether or not people would donate to us, we knew that our current donors would stay with us because they knew better. They had been here. They knew who I am. But we weren't sure, you know, in every nonprofit, you have attrition as people die or they move on to some other charity. We didn't know if we'd ever be able to attract a new donor because people yeah. go online and they see all of that hate and all of those accusations. And so it, it turned out that 2020 was, for as far as donations go, it was right about flat with the year before, which was a whole lot better than what we thought it would be. And we just today, we're doing our give day. We have three big giving days of the year. There's give day in the spring and then um, an annual appeal in the summer and then giving Tuesday is in the winter. And so this year we had set our goal higher than usual, even though we didn't know how it was gonna go. We set it for 120,000. And just a few minutes ago, we were a little bit over 92,000. So we're you know doing okay. The day's not done yet, but sure, um, it's not what we thought it would be. And it's probably as a result. So you think it's more a result of, of the, the doc or, or COVID? I think it's more a result of, well, I don't know. Now that you say that, because in addition to, you know, not being able perhaps to attract new donors who can't see past what they saw on TV, right? there is this issue of people have been out of work for a year, you right. know, and even though they may have jumped in to help us last year, now they've reached a point of going, oh my gosh, how long is this going to last? And yeah. do I have the money to do that? So I think it could be definitely a combined thing. Yeah. Well, Tiger King just switching gears a little bit, Tiger King aired on Netflix. Last week's guest on this podcast was also a, a, a Netflix star of sort uh, of sorts. Um, the, our guest had written on the television show Unorthodox, which was released, I think, the week after Tiger King. Did you see Unorthodox on Netflix, Carol? No. Okay. All right, right on. And um, what anyways- it's well. It's about a young woman who grows up in an Orthodox community in Brooklyn and ends up um, an Orthodox Jewish community. Ends up leaving, um, leaving the community, and she moves to to Berlin. To she pretty much starts a new life. It's it's an it's a it's a really touching and and beautiful, uh, beautifully written, I should say, and and, and just really well made um, miniseries. And it, it won an it won an Emmy. It was nominated for a bunch of Emmys. Um, at some point I, I want to have another Netflix star. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, we're going to have Zendaya on the podcast at some point. I think she was on the, she was on that Netflix film, Malcolm and Marie, but anyway, as a result of net of Netflix and Tiger King, I've seen you, you're kind of pushing into new, new digital mediums. So I know because of someone else that I work with, uh, someone who's been helping out friend of the podcast, Ivy Van Allen, that you've been spending a lot of time, or some time at least, on this new Clubhouse app. And I was just curious to hear your thoughts on this app and what your experience has been like on there. You know, we have such an amazing team here at the sanctuary. And my husband and I, Howard and I, make such a such a perfect couple because we we do not share any of the same traits or or personality types. Um, right. But because we come together and mesh so well, we, you know, we really make up for each other's shortfalls. So my, my gift, if it's anything, is to be able to like see the future 
And I'm always looking for what is the next big thing that's coming down the pike. And I will jump in and try absolutely everything to see, right. is this something that we can utilize to save the big cats? And my husband, on the other hand, is very detail-oriented, reading all of the contracts and you know, just spending so much time making sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed. And then we have this amazing team of people that work at the sanctuary. So it's wonderful that they give me that freedom to be that, that um, vision seeker that I love being. It's what I love most. And so we were helping a sanctuary get started in North Carolina. It's called Shizzy's Wildcat Sanctuary. Mm. And we don't usually work with people who are starting up a sanctuary. We do work with all of the accredited sanctuaries um, from the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. And we're part of a group called the Big Cat Sanctuary Alliance. And so we all work together on doing rescues together and sharing resources and all of that. But when somebody says, I want to start a sanctuary, I'm always like, oh, are you out of your mind? <laughs> this is millions of dollars a year you've got to raise. Right. And this one guy, Shazir Hake, has been just amazing. And so he has proven to me time and time again, again, over five or six years that he's doing it right. He's getting all the infrastructure in. He's making friends with all the people in power in his area so that, you know, he's good with the government there and um, going to get accredited before he has any animals and all of that kind of stuff, doing it right. And so we're doing a big fundraiser with him this June so that he can build his place. And it's currently under construction. So he brought a group of his people down here to Tampa to see Big Cat Rescue because they wanted to see how we do everything we do. And while he was here, he said, you know, you really should be on BitCloud. And I didn't know what that was. And in the course of talking about that, he said, oh, in Clubhouse too, you should try that. So as soon as he was gone, I was on BitCloud and I was on Clubhouse. And I listened to, <laughs> I hang myself in this, <laughs> I listen to podcasts all the time, you do. riding my bike back and forth to work because it's five miles each way. So it's a long time that I can listen to a podcast. But since Clubhouse came along, I can listen to things that are happening in real time on things that I really care about, like all of this technology stuff and the yep. NFTs and the things I need to learn about. And you can just hop right in the room and ask somebody a question where it might sure. take you hours to research that somewhere. And these are people that seem to have you know, a pretty good following. I always look to see how many people are following them on all of their social channels to know whether or not they've got the credibility necessary for me to listen to them. Right. The downside of Clubhouse is that whenever somebody sees me in the audience, they usually call me up onto the stage, probably just because of the name recognition. But then it's very hard for me to speak in the rooms because I'm riding my bike and I'm making all kinds of uh, ramp up there's, right. you know, cars whizzing past me and everything. And yeah. people are like, are you there? I'm like trying to hit that little, uh, that little microphone to say, yes, I am here. I didn't walk out of the room. I don't want to be Carol. rude. Yeah, every every time they call me up on the stage and then it finally is my turn to speak, it's always when I'm at the self checkout, and yeah. they're like, and, and then the machine, and I'm like, this, this is this morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The check I, well, I'm always thinking like I can pull this off, you know, I'm smooth, I'm a I'm a technological savvy dude, you know what I mean? And then it's like, and then the thing starts barking at me like, please stand by, like a representative will be by soon, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to share all of my. I mean, my genius with the, the the denizens of Clubhouse and I just sound, you know, it just sounds kind of ridiculous. There's like pandemonium going on in the background. But <laughs> um, I think that's, yeah, I guess that's like a normal occurrence on Clubhouse to some extent, huh? There's always, there's always an obstacle on Clubhouse. You know, the other thing I hate is I go around with my headset on. Usually I've got the little AirPods and my husband will say something to me. Well, if you take the AirPods out, now the phone is blaring. And right. so 
no way to make it quiet. So you have to get out of the room entirely before I can say, what did you say? Right. Yeah. No, it's cool. Okay. So can you, can you tell for, for those of us that don't know what BitCloud is, can you, can you summarize BitCloud? Probably not to their liking or their um, standards. It's, bas- it's basically making a co- like you make your own currency, right? Or am I wrong on that? Well, I, I don't know that you would. I, I guess maybe they call it a currency, but it's like a coin. I, yeah, we just launched our first coin today on Rally.io. Actually, it's the Cat Coin. I love that. Cat really? is our, our exchange number or name. Yeah. Um, and it's doing really well. Out of 117 coins there, we were at number 24 right before I got on here. Um, but as far as what BitCloud does, what I like about BitCloud is it gives creators or brands or personalities the ability to create a, a, a profile there. And then people can purchase your creator coins. And I think it's a way of your fan base letting you know that they appreciate what you're saying and what you're posting. And that then raises you to the top. So if you think about Facebook or Twitter or all of these other types of platforms, you don't own that platform and you're totally at the mercy of the algorithm for whether or not you rise to the top of all of that noise. Whereas if on BitCloud, you're there being promoted by the people who love and want to hear from you. And I think it's a it's a much more tech-savvy, forward-thinking group of people than what you would typically find on your Snapchat or your TikTok. So that's sounds like I'm my sounds it. like my elk over there. I gotta I gotta hop on there. Wait a second. Did you say that you started a look? Look, I'm looking to invest in some altcoins. Okay, uh, I do want to get your thoughts on this Dogecoin that everyone's talking about. But did you say that you started your own cryptocurrency called Catcoin? Did I read that correctly? Did I hear that correctly? You did hear that correctly, but it's not a currency. Um, even though it's called a cryptocurrency, it's not an investment. So it's, you know, my purpose of doing it. And I know a lot of people are trying to look at it as an investment. And they're looking at how these things rise and fall with Bitcoin and all of those kinds of things. But for me, the reason I set up that coin is I think that it's like the gateway for our fan base. And so what I've been asking people to do today on our, uh, they gave me like a thousand free coins that I could give away. Right. Sorry, they're just pinging the heck out of me. Make sure it's not an emergency, it's not. Um, They gave me a thousand free coins when I launched today. And so what I did for Give Day was I said, anybody who donates over $500, I'm gonna give you one of these coins. And even though the coin is only currently selling for like $7.50. What I'm seeing this coin as is kind of like a way of people, again, this is like what I wanted over at BitCloud was a way, and like you just said, it is kind of this opportunity to um, move people into this ecosystem where they're saying, I care about Big Cat Rescue. I wanna hear about Big Cats and what I can do to save them. And I'm gonna buy one of these coins so that whenever you have any kind of like special alert going out or you have any message that you wanna be sure goes to the people who really love you and care about you, I'm gonna be there. And we can do that on Facebook and YouTube and everywhere else that we are. But again, our message is throttled by whatever the algorithms are, you know, how much text I've got on an image or, you know, all of those kinds of things that are outside of my control. Whereas the coin is something that, belongs to us and it belongs to our fan base. 
And so I'm talking to people on Clubhouse about how do we integrate all of this stuff, these NFTs and these coins and um, getting a kind of like a free token that will download to people's iPhone or Android wallets that we could then through, I'm told it's called an Oracle, you can send like a push notification to them. So I could say, hey, we just got these brand new t-shirts with this new logo or this new picture of a cat or whatever. And because you're in our fan base and you own one of our coins and you own one of our NFTs and you're showing me that you wanna be on this bleeding edge of things, we're gonna give you first access to buy these things or first access to get a discount on these things. Or we'll do a live walkabout where I take the camera out and talk to the cats and I talk to the people on the Zoom feed. Well, if you hold a certain number of points, then you'll be one of the people that I would reach out to to do that. So it's cool, a way cool. of people buying access. That's that's fascinating. Okay, well, since I have you here and we're talking crypto, Carol, is Dogecoin going to a dollar? I have no idea because I don't follow any of the altcoins as, as investments. I don't know enough about them to do that. I did right. buy a ton of Bitcoin just recently when it dropped. I, in fact, it dropped to like 45,000 and I could not move my money fast enough because my right. bank was like, I don't understand crypto. It's like, you don't need to understand crypto. It's my money. <laughs> we yeah. went through this argument for a few days and it yeah. went up to like 50 before I managed to get in. Well, I'm, I'm famous for, you should not take any financial advice from me, um, but I would say that that sounds like a savvy a savvy move on your part, Carol. I want to delve deeper. So, creative well, pursuits. Well, I passed when it was at six thousand, so I'm not so savvy. <laughs> yeah, no, tell me about it. Um, oh, I love know. the cat tail. Yeah, this is this is <gasps> Halloween. This is a nice little Siamese cat here. Um, I love Siamese. Yeah, one day, one day when I'm a little bit older. And uh, I'm going to do a whole mini series, mini podcast series about my experience selling selling cryptocurrency too too early. It's going to be a, a tragic tale of the the twenty the twenty tens and twenty twenties. So keep your eyes peeled for that one, folks. But moving on, so creative pursuits. We talk about our communications and technology. And so um, as great as this doc, I actually never watched Tiger King until April April twenty twenty one. Um, I was planning on watching in March 2021, but some some stuff happened and I decided to shelve it. And again, this is a whole other podcast series we don't need to get into right now. But the reason that I decided, the reason why I wanted to reach out to you, Carol, is because as part of this umbrella of our communications and technology, we talk a lot about XR, about VR, about AR, the future of technology, how these things, um, how XR is is really look, we don't have so much evidence of it right now, but everything that I've been reading, and I've read a, several books on this now is saying that within the next decade, uh, you know, we've seen this push to virtual in terms of Zoom just over the last year. Um, and obviously with the proliferation of, you know, cell phones, this has been a technolo technological, smartphones, I should say, another technological revolution, but XR is going to be ubiquitous. Everyone's going to be um, engaging with some kind of XR, AR, VR on a daily basis. I'm curious, is this something that you've been thinking of? Because my understanding is you also are already pushing in that direction. We are. And I just yesterday, as I was riding my bike in, I was thinking, what if they made bifocals? You know, like 
you have this headset where at the top in virtual reality, but when you're looking down, like into your environment, you're in augmented reality. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, we, um, in 2019, we, well, actually in 2018 was when I bought my first crypto and it was for the purpose of buying crypto kitties. And I promptly lost my seed phrase and didn't find it again until April of this year. And wow. that was, yeah, but my stuff had gone up from $200 that I put in then was $700. It was like, oh, wow, <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. I wish I misplaced my Bitcoin wallet after 2017 and found it, you know, <laughs> right about now. That's okay. Uh, moving on. I, 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 I digress, please. So in 2019, we actually opened the world's first augmented reality zoo. And again, I was trying to show to zoos, you could have a location in a mall, which is what we did, and put these big, beautiful posters all over the wall. And you could take your phone and point it at the poster and it would leap to life with a video about that cat that was in the poster. And had a, a person that we were paying to be there to show people how to do that. We had headsets where people could put on the headsets and for, for as long as I can recall, I don't know when this started, maybe 2018 or so, we started doing um, 180 3D videos of the cats and 360 videos of the cats. And wow. um, we do one of those every week now that we release. And now we're getting like three times more views of those immersive videos than we are our flat videos. And that's saying a lot, given the fact that we have something like 100 million or 600 million views on YouTube. So that people really are adopting that technology. And so we would have the headsets in the mall and help people put those on. And most people, it was like the first time they'd ever seen anything like that. And they could not believe what it feels like to be, you know, you feel like that tiger is just breathing on you because it's right there in your face, much closer than I could ever allow anybody to get to these cats in person, right? including us, <laughs> the camera, you know, it can be caged, but you know, your fingers are going to end up being ripped off. And so we created one of those and it went to much fanfare. All these other zoos jumped in and said, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to do that too. I don't know if any of them ever did. And then we opened a second one down in Miami. And then um, when COVID hit, the one in Miami ended up closing because that whole that whole mall chain is in bankruptcy now. We still have the one that's local here, but I had started going to something called Synapse. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. Conference. There's like 7,000 people that are in technology and all of that kind of stuff okay. that come to Tampa once a year for the Synapse. Oh. And I had gone there with a friend of mine who was doing the virtual reality stuff. And that was how I found the people that were doing augmented reality for me. And I had actually started in augmented reality back in 2012, but nobody got it then. Yeah. <laughs> it did not take off the whole thing. No. Oh. So in 2020, I was at that conference and I met the guy who was working with Magic Leap and doing like this climate change thing where you could put the headset on and you could pick a year and you could see what the earth was going to look like by that time. Yeah. And so I had him build our first virtual reality game and it was amazing. I think he just did such a beautiful job. It cost about $40,000. And what it does is when you put the headset on, you go into the Rantham Boar forest, you feel like you're in the forest, the trees are all, you know, fluttering, they're all CGI. And a park ranger comes up to you and says, hey, we're missing one of our tigers, can you help us find her? And so it's a gamified thing where you're having to learn how to track a tiger. And then you discover that she's been snared by poachers 
and you go through all the stuff that our vet would have to go through in order to make sure she's okay to release. And then you're the person who releases her back to the wild and she goes off hunting. And I think that was the kind of experience that would make a kid care about wanting to protect these animals in the wild, not seeing right. one languishing in a cage, hating its life. Yeah. And so we felt like, you know, $40,000 for that game, that would be what it would cost us to take care of a tiger for four years. And so a tiger can live, we've got one out there that's 25 years old. So it's a lot cheaper for zoos to invest in these kinds of gamified learning experiences that kids would enjoy far more. And we wanted to get that out to the Oculus. So it's free on the Oculus uh, Rift, Rift S. And then right. it's like $4.95 on Steam for any other kind of a headset. And we have been trying for months to get it into the Quest and still are dealing with issues there, but it will be there in the Quest very soon as well. And so what I'm hoping people will do is see that and run with that idea. I don't care about making money off of any of these things. I just want people to replace zoos with that kind of experience. And I want anybody that sees this to go, oh my gosh, this is what I can do best and have them just run with it. Wow, Carol. So you're really on the cutting edge of all of these different technological developments with the crypto, you were a, an earl. I mean, so many people got into XR VR too early and ended up having to leave the game, you know, <laughs> and, and 2012 probably was such a, such an entry point, but you know, we're seeing more and more people every single year picking up these headsets. You really are on the cutting edge of all these technological developments. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I do want to ask you about one more, but I, before I go into that, I will say we, you know, here at Creative Pursuits, we have our eye on the ball here with these technological developments. It seems that in terms of like bifocals, it's going to be Apple who's going to release some kind of headset in the next two or three years. And that's really going to make, that's going to maybe take this whole, this, this new direction, this new technological direction to the next level and, and kind of have a, have a more accessible price point for folks to to get in with these with this headset. I actually was camping this past weekend up at the Sequoia National Forest with a guy who worked for Apple. Actually, no, I was at the Los Padres National Forest. Let's let's not, we gotta be we gotta be fastidious about the details here. I was in the Los Padres National Forest this weekend, an Apple employee. I pressed him. I'm like, so are you leading this team? What's going on? Um, he denied that he had anything to do with this project. But just for the listeners out there, I wanted them to know that we are keeping our eye on this thing. We will be breaking news. We just broke the news of your, I mean, like I said, I done a, a, I did a cursory Google search. I've done several Google searches, you know, in pre preparation for this podcast. I didn't know that you had a cryptocurrency. So- Well, it know, just launched today at one o'clock. It just launched today at one o'clock. Look at that. We're already, as I said, true. a man true to my word, we are breaking news on this podcast, Creative Pursuits. All right. So while we're talking about this, because you invoked the magical acronym um, that ends with a T, it starts with an N, NFT. What, what, what's, what's the deal, Carol? Has the drop, when's the drop going down? So as soon as I heard about NFTs, I thought, well, how hard could that be, right? I feel that way about everything. And so I'll try to fuddle my way through it. And I created, created one. And within 24 hours, it sold for a thousand dollars, and I was like, "Oh my god!" So I created a lot like, of cat coins. <laughs> I created another one, and these were on Rarible. We're at rarible.com/slash/dr, right. like Big Cat Rescue. 
and nobody bought any of the rest of them. So I don't know if they just don't like, because I did another one that was kind of similar, thinking right. well, maybe they wanted more of this artsy looking stuff. And so maybe it was just because it was the first Carol Baskin thing out there that somebody bought it up and that nobody cares about the rest of them. I don't know. I put a couple on OpenSea, but then I ran out of Ethereum. And then that's when I started trying to buy the Bitcoin so that I could pump up my Ethereum. And I just haven't gone back to minting since then. But there is a company that is launching. I can't tell you the name yet, but they're okay. going to be launching in about two weeks. And they came to me and they said, we'd love to do like a whole series of specialized cards based on your cats at the sanctuary. NFT, and so, NFT trading cards? Yes. Yes. And they come at all different uh, price points with different unlockables throughout all of that. And then there's like the one of a kinds as well. And so in about two weeks, all of that is going to drop. And I'm hoping that because they know what they're doing, it's going to do better than what I did trying to do it myself. That's really exciting. I love the idea of NFT trading cards. I actually was thinking about giving up this podcasting game, even though, you know, it's going so well for me. I work on a slew of podcasts, but I was like, I want to be a, um, I want to be an NFT card maker. I actually got it a free, uh, I got a free trial edition of Adobe After Effects, but it, it, what I quickly found is, you know, I'd never worked in After Effects before. Um, it's, it's difficult to make these NFT trading cards, um, but I'm glad that you're getting in this game because I do think it's so cool. I might circle back, um, you know, if the podcasting thing doesn't work out, I might end up trying to make the NFT trading cards because I do think it's it's interesting and it's fun and it's a cool way to interact with whatever it is, whether it's a podcast or, you know, or a, a sanctuary. It's It's just kind of a cool way to interact with something that you're, that you're interested in. So I guess, I guess we're pretty much wrapping up. I guess we'll do some media diet. What do you watch documentaries? Like what have, do you watch docs or Netflix at all? Well, before clubhouse, what I would do when I, yeah, I work daylight to dark. So it depends on this time of year um, as to how long my days are in the summer. I work really, really long days, right. but I do that because I travel by bicycle back and forth and I don't like to drive in the dark. So um, typically I would get home and just be totally wasted. I would just flop on the couch and turn on anything. And I could watch, binge watch a documentary and five minutes later, I could not tell you what anybody had said. And I don't drink, <laughs> I don't take drugs. I just don't, I don't pay attention. I'm just like listening for the noise. I go to sleep listening to noise. And since Clubhouse came along, I'm spending my evenings listening in Clubhouse and really paying attention and yeah. learning so much. So it's changed since um, April 7th. Right on. So not so many docs. I watched that. Um, I watched a good doc on HBO the other day, Exterminate All the Brutes. And I know HBO also did very, very, um, very interesting, very informative. And I know they also did the QAnon, the QAnon doc, but I guess you didn't catch, you didn't catch either of those, huh? No, I did watch Seaspiracy and Cowspiracy. I really liked those. Okay, right on. So this we do this media diet this at the end of some of the episodes. Um, so, are are you are you yourself vegan? I I strive toward that. Yeah, so um, do I. My one my one thing is every morning I have bulletproof coffee, which is grass fed butter in my coffee. Right. Every once in a while, I just get a huge craving for a milkshake. But aside yeah. from vegan. What kind of, what are some of your favorite foods? Like, do you get takeout? Do you do, are you cooking at home? Do you have the energy for that at the end of the day? What's the deal? 
I can't cook. And I discovered something called Bistro instead okay. of Bistro, it's Bistro. And they're vegan meals. And so they create like all of my vegan meals and ship them to me a month at a time and a bit of yeah. a freezer. And so I just eat two of those a day. Right on. But favorite foods are cherries. I love cherries. Cherries, good cherries is, uh, is always a welcome, a welcome. Uh, I like cherries. I also really, I really like apples and oranges. Uh, I actually was vegan for four months um, before I relapsed on pepperoni pizza. But, <laughs> That's quite a relapse. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. just went right to the big stomach. <laughs> yeah, no, but I too am striving, you know, one day, one day I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, get gonna get back into it. I'm hoping, well, Carol, it was really cool talking with you and hearing about, you know, not just your, the work in the sanctuary, but also your forays into all these different technological sectors. So thank you so much for spending the time with us and, and being on the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. That's it for this episode. Thank you to Carol for coming on the podcast. Thank you to Hideout Hill for providing the music to this podcast. Thank you to Team People for sponsoring this podcast. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast because we are going to be back here next week, if not sooner, with a brand new episode. And I'm not going to spoil it, but I know who next week's guest is. And you're not going to want to miss this episode. I'm really, I'm so excited for this episode. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Once more, this has been the Creative Pursuits Podcast. Thank you for listening. See you next time.